0: What's up, y'all, and welcome into The Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, as always, Jack Vita, taping this on a Friday right before Christmas. Uh, this is my Christmas gift to all of you listeners, to those who celebrate, and those who are celebrating a happy festivist tomorrow, and happy Hanukkah to all of our Jewish friends. Um, happy holiday season, happy new year. So we are taping this. We had some big baseball news drop late last night. Uh, The Los Angeles Dodgers continue the rich get richer. We'll talk about that. Uh, We've got other hot stove news to get to, and we might have some time later. We'll talk a little bit about the MLB Hall of Fame voting. Joining us to break it all down, we have the perfect guest to do it, longtime baseball writer, uh, currently a national baseball writer and senior editor at Sportico. He's a, as you can see, Hall of Fame voter since nineteen. is that 92? 1992? Yeah, 1992. 1992. Yeah, Tom Sever uh, was my first one. Oh, awesome. Uh, and then I, I've had the joy to get to know him. Just an awesome guy, uh, mentor of mine, uh, Mr. Barry Bloom. I call him Barry Legend. Welcome, Barry.
1: <laughs> uh, thanks very much. It's too kind of you, Jack.
0: <laughs> it's great to have you here. Um, so let's lead off with this. I mean, I wasn't expecting that we'd have this news Right in our inbox this morning, um, when we were planning this a couple days ago, but uh, your quick takeaway on the Dodgers agreeing to a 12 year, 325 million dollar contract with Yoshinobu Yamamoto.
1: Well, I mean, I think obviously they needed pitching, you know, they signed Otani and he's not going to pitch this season because is recovering from elbow surgery again. So, uh, you know, their, their rotation is pretty spare. That they would go out and spend another $300 million on the top pitcher on the market is, is fairly amazing. But if any team can do it, it's them, because they've got money to spare. I mean, this is an organization. It's, you know, Guggenheim. It's a... Uh, a hedge fund that handles about $500 billion. There's plenty of money to go around, and uh, they're not hesitating to spend it. The question for me now is, with all, with all these signings, you know, they were a 100-win team last year. They were a 107-win team the year before. They didn't get by the Padres or the Diamondbacks and the NLDS. Does this put them one step further? Does this get them to the World Series? And to win the World Series in a season where there's 162 games, which they haven't done since 1988.
0: It's a great question. I've had the same question too. I mean, a lot of people, and that was what I was going to ask you next, is a lot of people are already crowning them the champs. I think a lot of the maybe just baseball fans in general, they don't like, they they see another team spending a lot of money. Maybe they want their team to spend the same amount of money, but. I mean, it was less than 12 months ago. I guess it was a year ago. Weren't we having the same conversation with the New York Mets when they agreed to that huge contract with Correa, but then they ended up not going through with it, but they had that gigantic payroll. People were ready to crown the Mets a year ago.
1: Well, and the Padres, for that matter, too, with all the money they've spent over the last couple of seasons. I mean, look, winning the offseason does not necessarily translate into – you know, success during the regular season or making the postseason or winning the postseason. I mean, if you look at the salary structure in baseball last year, you know, the top three teams, uh, the Yankees, the Mets, and the Padres, none of them made the playoffs. So it's not just how much money you spend, it's how judiciously you spend it and how the teams mesh when – when you bring all these high-priced players and money players together, and you know the, it creates striations in the clubhouse. Uh, I noted that the Yankees went as high as three hundred million dollars on Yamamoto, but they weren't going to go to three twenty-four, which is what they paid Cole, because they knew that would be a problem in their clubhouse. You know, and Cole would be right back to them looking for more money. And, you know, this is what happened. I mean, you know, for a while, Mookie Betts was like the highest paid player in baseball in the Dodger clubhouse. And then you add Freddie Freeman, who's making good money. And now you've added a billion dollars on Otani and Yamamoto, not to mention the $50.7 million that the RX Buffaloes are going to be paid in a posting fee on top of the $325 million contract. So this is in excess of a of billion dollars that the Dodgers have spent from one guy who's going to hit, and he's going to be the most expensive DH in history in Otani, and another guy who's, if you're healthy and you're lucky, is going to pitch 30 times, and coming out of Japan where they pitch in a six-person rotation, it, does, it depends on... What the, what the load is going to be on his arm on how many times a week you're going to be able to pitch him. So if you're pitching him like basically one day a week and you're getting 25 to 30 starts out of him, that's an awful lot of money for to somebody competing in 30 games. So uh, you, people can do whatever they want, but it's the usual. You can say a team is going to win, and it really doesn't matter until you throw the first ball out on the field.
0: Yeah. And it's an awful lot of money to spend to someone who's never thrown a pitch in major league baseball before. I mean, how is he going to get acclimated coming over from Japan? Uh, I know we've seen several players from Japan here in Chicago. Good example. Kosuke Fukudome, that guy was a superstar in Japan. He comes over here and I think he struggled with moving and coming over to the Midwest. And for whatever reason, it just didn't really work the way it would. Uh, 10-year contract for that kind of money I think people would call me a cheap GM or a cheap owner if I were running teams that's not really how I would spend my money uh, especially on a guy who has not pitched in the big leagues before obviously there's a very high ceiling here but you mentioned if a guy if one of these guys gets injured that's a huge huge hit to your payroll if that guy cannot perform the way that you're expecting him to
1: well, I think what you have to look at as far as Japanese players go is that generally the pitchers come over here and they acclimate a lot better than, than the hitters do. You know, hitting by and large except for the Tanakas and Nomos and, you know, Ak- Yakamoto and Otani when he was pitching over there, they're basically facing double-A pitching over there. That's what the general tenor of the league is. And now you and you you play with a different ball. You come over here, and you have to adjust to major league pitching that you've never faced before, and and it's a big leap. So if you look at the position players, you know the guys who have come over and been a big success are are pretty limited. You know the uh, Ichiro, obviously. Uh, you know Hideki Matsui with the Yankees, and he won a World Series for them, and. Was hit 600 in the World Series and won the MVP of the 2009 World Series. You know the Red Sox made a good pickup last year. Uh, it, you know, and so, but it, the long term, I think your chance of the pitching helping is, is 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 a lot greater. There's there's a long history of good Japanese pitchers. You know, excelling in the major leagues. The only problem really is that. You know Japanese pitchers, and I guess you got Yama, Yama, Yamamoto at twenty-five. You know he's thrown two hundred pitches since high school every game, so there's a lot of wear and tear on these arms. You know Tanaka came over here with an elbow injury. Uh, certainly, Otani came over here with a with a grade one tear in his ulnar nerve or ulnar ligament in that right elbow and. Before he turned around, it was a grade two and he wound up having Tommy John surgery. So you just don't know how these guys are going to adjust. On the other hand, you know, there's, if you work for the Dodgers, it'd be no sense for you to be a cheap general manager (laughs) because they have the money. And even if there are sunken costs that they have to bear because some of their free agent signings don't excel They've got plenty of money to do it. It's a drop in the bucket.
0: Well, and these they, I, they expect these Japanese stars to bring in a lot of revenue, too, especially with the Japanese markets.
1: Well, unfortunately, you know, the Dodgers are just not one of the teams that needs that kind of money. You know, they're maxed right. out in every area that they possibly could be. I mean, both of those guys, either Otani or Yamamoto, really would have helped the San Francisco Giants you know, who are averaging about 28,000 people there at Oracle Park right now. So ticket sales, television, merchandising, marketing, that all would have been made, made a big difference for the Giants. It would have made a big difference for the Diamondbacks. <coughs> but the players have the choice of where they want to sign, and so they do, and they wind up going to this market. Look, the Dodgers have a 50,000-seat ballpark that they fill every day they have the highest attendance in the league every, every year, their television money. They're one of the few teams left. They had an $8.5 billion television contract that they've monetized. There's no shortage of money there. <coughs> Neither of these guys are going to help them in that end. All they're going to help them do is where in the equation do they fit? That's gonna give them the eleven extra wins that they're gonna to need to win the World Series.
0: Yeah, and I, I think the Glassnow trade was interesting. I know Rhett and I talked about it a few <coughs> days ago. Is Glasnow's a great pitcher when he's healthy. One of the problems the Dodgers have had is their pitchers have not been healthy when they get into the postseason. So I think that's a huge key is can they have a healthy pitching staff going the postseason? I mean, you had a front row seat watching them there when you were, I mean, I know you cover a lot of Diamondback stuff out there in Arizona. What'd you see in that series? What What do you think they need in addition to pitching or do they need anything else? The
1: Dodgers at this point? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the fact is that two years in a row, the, uh, the Padres and the Diamondbacks were able to shut down Mookie and Freeman at the top of the lineup in both of those series. Neither of those guys ever got going offensively, and it hurt the whole Dodger lineup from top to bottom. And so what I think Otani does is now he gives them a number three hitter in the lineup behind those two guys. And if that, they're not hitting or it takes a time to, for them to straighten out, they've got him there, they've got Muncie there, you know. they've got Smith. They've now got a pretty formidable lineup with 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 Otani in that lineup. So I think that that's going to make a big difference. The pitching, you know, Kershaw last year was on his last legs, you know, as we saw in the opening inning of that series against the Diamondbacks, where he let up six runs. And, you know, maybe a catch in the outfield by Outman, you know, uh, and Peralta might have saved him in that inning, saved the Dodgers. Balls that should have been caught were not caught. But to be that as it may, they knocked Kershaw out, and then he went to shoulder surgery, and who knows when and if he's ever going to pitch again. And that set the tone for the entire series. And now you're like... Game three with Lance Lynn, you know, trying to ward off, you know, ward off elimination. So between their offense and their pitching last year, it's amazing that they got to a hundred wins last year, considering the circumstances they were in injury wise all year. I mean, their whole pitching staff was, was knocked out. So we'll see if Bueller comes back from Tommy John. Now you have uh, Yamamoto, uh, you know, they're going to have to toy around a little bit with the, with the rest of the rotation. But it stretches out the rotation. You know, like you said, if Glass now is healthy, all of this is if they're healthy. It just, you know, that's what it all comes down to. You really need like eight starting pitchers, eight, nine starting pitchers to open the season now because you know three or four of them are going to get hurt. You have to have that kind of depth. And the Dodgers are an organization that 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 can do it. You know, I think also in the equation here is that, you know, the Padres and 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 the Diamondbacks really didn't get much worse either going into next season. You know, the Diamondbacks have built on what they already did, and the Padres have lost a few people on the fringes, but they still have uh, Tatis, you know, Bogarts, Manny will come back from his surgery, you know, uh, Cronenworth, Kim, you know, they've got, they've got some great players. Now the question is, you know, they, they still have Darvish, Musgrove coming back from an injury. You know, they still have a team that's going to be competitive and maybe this year without the pressure that they're under to win, they'll be better this year. So there are teams in that division that the Dodgers are going to have to contend with. And certainly the Giants at this point look like they're nowhere.
0: Speaking of the Padres, I'll give you one here. So the Padres um, I saw recently are one of the teams that are in on Cody Bellinger. Now the Padres don't look like they might be, they're going to be spending huge the way that they may have over the last couple of years. However, Bellinger, I'm starting to think with Bellinger, He wants, reportedly, 10 years, $250 million. I don't know if anyone's going to give him that. He could, if he wants to, sign a one-year deal, try to put together another season like he did last year, and then hit the market again and go for that big contract then. Because I think teams would be much more willing to give him an eight- to ten-year contract if he puts together two years in a row like last year. But... Some might be concerned that he gets the big contract. Last year was an anomaly. His hard hit rate was down. Maybe he checks out a little bit. I mean, and so if he signs a one-year deal, I could see San Diego being a good fit for him.
1: Well, I think that you kick that can down the road to February. (laughs) If he doesn't get a long-term contract, then maybe a team like the Padres can pick him off for a year because he's going to be desperate to sign somewhere. Exactly. But until then... You know, he's still going to be one of the highest profile free agents in the market. Right. And and there are teams that can afford, that could use them. To your point, though, I don't think the Padres are spending 10 years, 250 million dollars on anybody anymore. So, you know, they they've, they they had a mandate after their owner, Peter Seidler, died and even before to cut 60 million dollars out of the payroll to match the television money that they lost. When the ballet contract went away mid season last year. They were earning sixty million dollars and probably more than that in the step nature of that contract as it went on. But I mean, they've you know, they've already, you know, they've lost Hader, you know, they've lost Snell. Martinez is gone. I mean, they they've they've lost a number of people, which gives already takes up that sixty million dollars. And they're still gonna Walker, have a go yeah, they're still going to have a $200 million payroll. So I don't see the Padres being in the market for Bellinger, even in a one-year deal. I mean, really? I think that that's, some, that's, that's a guy who, you know, hey, if I were the Dodgers, I, I'd go back and get him too. Because, yeah. you know, maybe you can get him for a three-year contract and put him back in center field on this team. And that answers some of your, you know, outfield problems. Because, you know, with Roberts already saying that Betts is moving to second base full time, they're going to need to fill out that outfield. So, you know, I think that's more of a possibility than the Padres at this point.
0: Do you think Bellinger gets that eight to 10 year contract?
1: No. I think that uh, his injuries are, uh, you know, his up and downs over the last three or four years. You know, are going to be predicated, you know, in that kind of situation. And I don't think his value is that high compared to some of these other guys who've had injuries, you know, like T- Otani for that matter. I don't think Otani's value is $700 million either. But the Dodgers were willing to pay and a lot of other teams were willing to pay. So, but no, I, you know, correct me, I think Bellinger is a Scott Burroughs client. That's so, correct. Yep. yeah, so that that in itself is going to be a problem.
0: Yeah, I had heard that this is something that he could be holding <laughs> out until spring training. And so that's where I could see if no one's willing to give him that huge contract. And maybe they come down a little bit on that price. I mean, I think teams would, I think like a six-year contract, teams would do that. He's age 28, so you pay him through age 34. But I don't. I don't see teams wanting to go 10 years. Maybe someone does. Maybe Toronto is so hungry to get somebody. That's what I know some people have talked about Toronto. But I think then if he's getting into spring training, it's like, okay, well, we need to get a deal done. So that's where the one-year contract could come into play potentially.
1: Right, and it depends on who's controlling who. Is Bellinger controlling Scott or is Scott controlling Bellinger? You know, all of this is speculatory. Who knows?
0: Absolutely. Now, speaking of the Giants, the Giants went out and we were talking a little bit about guys coming over from uh, Japan. They picked up Jung-Hoo Lee from Korea and they gave him a lot of money. Six years, $120 million. Have you looked into Jung-Hoo Lee at all?
1: Yeah, I don't know much about him except for the fact that he missed a good part of the season last year with a broken leg which is a typical move for the Giants. Like, I'm not really sure why signing a guy with a broken leg was okay, but not signing Korea with a chronic ankle injury from when he was, in, you know, early in his major league career was a big deal. And the, the, the medics told them not to do it. I mean, the, the Giants are incoherent to me. I, I think it was just, you know, we lost out on Otani. We're not going to hire, you know, they were being killed in the media in San Francisco, you know, we're not going to go out and sign up another big free agent, American free agent, because nobody wants to come here. And you have the, you know, the Bryce Harper, Aaron Judge, you know, Otani thing. And so I think they wanted to make a splash and do something. And that's what they did, because that was the most logical thing. That was what they had available.
0: So Jung-Hoo Lee... I was not very familiar with him, but I did look at his stats, and you mentioned last year he only played 86 games. Um, 318 batting average, 400 OBP, 860 OPS, only six home runs. Um, And I just, I don't know, I think it's a lot of money to pay a guy, again, who is coming over from another country, has not played in Major League Baseball before, and I'm not seeing like, like the year before he had a much better year. He had three, he had 350, 23 home runs, but he doesn't have an absurd amount of power. He has hit after that year. The most he had hit in a season was 15 home runs. He looks like he's primarily a contact hitter. Um, maybe he's a good leadoff hitter, but it seems like a lot of money and a bit, a little bit of a risk.
1: Well, yeah, a lot of a risk because you just don't know how, you know, players from from Korea are going to go over, are going to come over here and translate and the same thing that we talked about with Japanese hitters coming over, you know, Korea doesn't even have the high-level pitching among a few guys that Japan does. So really you are facing double A pitching over there and you're going to a ballpark where you're not probably not going to hit a lot of home runs anyway. So, you know, we'll see. It seemed like I said to you, it seemed like desperation mode for the Giants. Uh, You know, their ownership is putting them under a lot of pressure in baseball ops to get things done. I think, you know, Farhan knows he's got one more year. And right now, you know, they're a fourth-place team in the division, unless there's some – really catastrophic thing happens to the first three teams.
0: Do you think they go out and they try to add a Matt Chapman or another guy this winter?
1: Oh, I'm sure they're trying. Yeah. I mean, Matt Chapman would be a good fit for them considering his Oakland ties, but they may not be willing to go out and pay the kind of money that Chapman wants. But yeah, I think it'll be interesting after the holidays when you get into this January period between the beginning of January and then into the you know, into the beginning of February before the Super Bowl. And then you hit the Super Bowl, you hit spring training, and you know, a lot is gonna happen in that six week period.
0: Yeah, Chapman has the ties to the Bay Area. He could play for Bob Melvin again, which I've heard he is a big Bob Melvin guy. That fit feels like it makes sense.
1: It does, but I think it's going to all come down to the money at this point.
0: Yep, absolutely. Now, the another team, obviously, in the NL West is the team that went to the World Series that you have gotten to see quite a bit over I mean, recent years, and especially last year, this amazing run that they had. Uh, the Dimebacks have gone out, and they've been pretty active this winter. I know they, they added Eugenio Suarez, they got Eduardo Rodriguez. They brought back Guriel. It sounds like they're going to try to add another guy, maybe Justin Turner or J.D. Martinez. How have you liked what they've done this winter?
1: Well, I mean, I've liked it that they've been proactive. I mean, I'm not sure that Eduardo Rodriguez is not $80 million down the tubes just like it was on Bumgarner. I mean, here's a guy who's been hurt on and off, hurt on and off, you're in a situation here where, you know, their top two pitchers, you know, Zach Gallen and uh, and Merrill Kelly, they're under under way under underpaid now in comparison to what they've just paid this guy, you know. That, as I said before, you know, like to say it, but it it causes it it causes problems in the clubhouse. Uh, you know, it, you you wonder if they paid Eduardo Rodriguez, that kind of money, what are they going to have to pay to keep either of those two guys? And what are they prepared to do? Or they, is this a one-off this year? They're just trying to like parlay what they did last year, <clears throat> give themselves a fourth starter, which they didn't have, you know, in the playoffs in the world series, they got caught with bullpen games. <clears throat> they survived it in, in Phil against the Phillies. They didn't survive it against the Rangers. You know, at that game, probably, you know, what in the long run was the reason why they didn't win the World Series. So it looks like a quick fix to me, you know, at this point. And so, yeah, yeah, they getting J.D. Martinez in as a DH might, might be a great add too. But, I mean, really, when you look at the Diamondbacks, you know, and I've said it a number of times, I mean, this is a team that won 84 games. I mean, I thought 87 would make the playoffs, but it wound up being 84 because the Cubs and the Padres, Padres were just coming on. The Cubs sunk. The The Diamondbacks won seven out of the last eight against the Cubs and knocked them out. And basically, if they didn't win those seven out of eight, they wouldn't have made the playoffs. But, I mean, from August on, this was a team I went and saw – Get swept in LA, lose three out of four to the Mets at City Field, lose two out of three to the Yankees at Yankee Stadium, and then get beat by the White Sox, and uh, the, on their last road game of the season, and then get swept by the Astros, and back into the playoffs uh, on the last weekend of the season, and yet they still made the playoffs, and they you know went to Milwaukee, knocked out knocked out the Brewers put the Dodgers at the right time and beat the Dodgers somehow, you know, went to Philly and won the last two games of that series to to knock off the Phillies. And then, you know, ran into better managing and a better team, you know, with the Rangers in the world series. So yeah, whether they're going to be able to sustain this, even with what they got this year is, you know, anybody's guess. And plus they were under the radar all year, last year they're not going to be under the radar this year. People are going to be gunning for them and they're going to be it's going to be a hard game every time they go out to play. And they're going to have to play well and they're not going to be able to make mistakes. And you know, we'll just see as uh, as the season goes on how it forms. But I think one thing I'm certain of is the Dodgers have won the division title 10 out of 11 times. The year they didn't win, the Giants had 107 wins and they had 106 and then they went on and beat the Dodgers, the giants on the last pitch of the NLDS and went to the, to the, to the NLCS against the Braves. And by that time they were so beat up. They had so many injuries. They had nothing left to beat the Braves and it still went six games. You know, it, this is a very formidable team and a very good regular season team. So I think, they're going to win the division again. And then it's a scramble below them on who makes, who, who gets a wild card. One of the three wild cards again. And, you know, and the diamondbacks are going to be toying around between 80 and 90 wins. And so are the Padres and the giants are not going to get to eight, eight to, to 80 wins. So I think there there's your two contenders within that division for the playoff spots. And then you have to deal with, you know, the, the Milwaukee's and, you know, the Mets and the Phillies and, you know, team the teams that Washington came on last year, they're a much better team. The Marlins made the playoffs last year. There, there's a lot of teams in the NL that can win those wildcard berths. So it's really, you know, up in the air at this point, as far as anybody else beside the Dodgers uh, winning the division, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, St. Louis could come back next year. Cincinnati's got a really nice young core. Um, so I definitely think it'll be I, – I would like to see more wins getting into the playoffs. I think part of, another big reason why 84 was enough to do it last year was because the Padres and the Mets took such a huge step back um, and really underperformed, as we mentioned at the top of the show.
1: Well, yeah, but also, <clears throat> you know, the Cubs were right there. And they lost seven out of eight to the Padres, down the, I mean, to the Diamondbacks down the stretch. And the Padres were so far gone that they they worked back to 82 and 80 and two games behind the wild card spot. But they had to dig themselves out of a huge hole just to get just to get back there. And as you said, you know, the Cardinals were just missing in action all year last year. And I'm not sure that they've retooled enough, you know, to to be that much better this year. It it you know it, it's all kind of a mystery and you know I think not enough is made about the more balanced schedule that you're not paying playing teams in your division 18 times or 19 times a year anymore. So essentially, you get a chance to to knock off one of those teams that might be a wild card contender that are not in your own division, depending how the schedule is set. So. Yeah, it's a it, it's a it's a pretty balanced schedule, and uh, you know there were a lot of reasons why the Diamondbacks were a- able to make it with eighty four wins, you know mostly because of as you point out, the teams behind them didn't play any better, and played worse than the Diamondbacks.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the competitive uh, balanced schedule. Do you like it? Do you like the new schedule?
1: Yeah, I like the new schedule for the fact that, you know, you can see more teams. I mean, last year, usually from spring training on, I count up how many teams I've seen and how many teams I haven't. And I think I wound up seeing 28 out of the 30 teams last year. Uh, The only two I missed were the Tigers and the Twins, and they never came out West. It was just one of those years they'll come out West this year. So we'll miss, miss a couple of others. But, you know, we're going to open the season here this year and the Yankees are going to be at at Chase Field like the second week of the season, which which will create, you know, a completely different dynamic. It'll be interesting group of games early on. The one thing I do, you know, say about what the Diamondbacks have done in the the offseason is that, You know, I think they finally, in the second half of the season, started to capture or recapture the fan base in in Phoenix. And especially, you know, September on and through the playoffs, you know, they were really selling out the stadium and having great crowds that were very partisan to the Diamondbacks the last two months of the season through the playoffs and the World Series. You know, I think what they did was they understand that where they're going to make their money is they've got a 48,000 seat ballpark. It's like, how many people can we fit into that ballpark every night? Cause there's a lot of room there for them to make money on their attendance and their merchandising and their concessions and parking and whatever ancillary revenue there is locally, because what they, they they're like the the Padres in that they lost their $60 million TV contract too last year, and they've got to search around and find a way to spend, to, to make the extra money. And I think what they did was, in the rare occasion, because they didn't do this during the pandemic, in the pandemic they lost over $100 million just like every other team, and instead of reinvesting in the team to get fans back, they basically sat on their hands because they couldn't afford it, and it created some very bad seasons and a lot of disinterest in the community. I think they understand this year that whether it's going to cost them more money and it's going to put them more in the hole in the red, I think with either renovations to that stadium or a new stadium coming, a new television deal that they're going to have to figure out, and keeping the interest in the community where it was at the end of last season, they had to reinvest in the team to make it a better team or at least make the perception of it being a better team going into into this season. And they certainly did that. And I applaud Ken Kendrick and their ownership group for spending that money. I mean, Kendrick always says that if they make money, they don't pocket it, they reinvest it in the team. And this is a real example of they made extra money last year And what they did was they took it back and reinvested it in the team. And people in the community should be happy about that. They should support the Diamondbacks. And I hope that, uh, you know, they continue to be interesting and competitive to keep that base really excited and coming out to the ballpark.
0: Hey, speaking of teams that have been active and aggressive this offseason, I want to give you some credit, Barry, because uh, we had lunch little over a month ago. It was probably a month ago now. And I asked you, what do you think the Yankees do from this point after, after last season, you said, I think they're going to make at least one big move. And I think you even predicted the Soto trade, didn't you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I thought, look, I've been talking, I know a lot of people in that organization. I've been talking to them about Soto for over a year. You know, when when the Padres at last trade deadline were dangling him out there, I, I, you know, I said to them, why aren't you going after this guy? He's going to fill a lot of your needs in the outfield and in your lineup. And as a left handed bat at the stadium, especially if you want to go for the playoffs, which at the trade deadline last year, they were still they weren't out of it. They were still fairly in contention for a wild card spot. And their answer was it was going to cost them too many prospects and they didn't want to do it, which was essentially Brian Kent, Cashman's mantra for the last number of years until Hal Steinbrenner steps in and says, I don't care about your prospects. Get a team on the field that's going to win now. So you saw they traded five young players for one year of Soto. Their chances of of signing Soto – are probably tough because it's another Scott client, and Scott already turned down fifteen years, four hundred twenty million or so from the Nationals when he was trade right before he was traded to the Padres. So I mean, there's no doubt that unless the Yankees sink a big load of money into this guy to to extend his contract, that he's going to go out into the market next season. So the Yankees have a one-year rental on the guy, where they if they had made the trade at the trade deadline it's last season, they would have had him for a year and a half and two pennant runs. And maybe they make the playoffs if they make that deal la- la- last season. Two and a so, half years, actually. Yeah. So now it would be uh, one year this year and, and half the season last year. So if they had done that, then they get two rounds with them instead of one, <clears throat> and now it's basically you look at their lineup. It's the same thing as you know you point out with the Dodgers and Otani. Now all of a sudden you have you know uh, Soto at the top at the top of the lineup, and he was on pace something like three hundred and thirty times last year, and you have Judge hitting behind him, and suddenly you have. You know, some guys on pace for Judge to to knock in, you know, and 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 Soto is not afraid to take a walk. So he will be on pace a lot. And it stretches the Yankee lineup. If you lead off Lemayu, Soto, Judge, you know, then you get down. If Stanton's healthy, uh you yeah, I, I think Grisham is a is a really nice player. He hasn't hit the way he should in the big leagues. But Petko is a tough park for a left-handed hitter. He, I think he will produce. I think he had 12 or 13 home runs last year. He's going to hit home runs at Yankee Stadium, even if he doesn't hit for average. Plus, he's a great center fielder. And with Soto, he's a ne- he's, a, uh, <coughs> he's negligible in left field. But, but Grisham will cover a lot of ground. I mean, I know people are saying it's going to be they talk about judge in center, Soto and right, Verdugo and left. But I think their best starting lineup has Soto and left, Grisham in center, and Judge and right, because Grisham covers so much ground. And <clears throat> Yankee Stadium is a big center field. He'll cover a lot of ground there. He'll make up for what he doesn't do offensively with what he's going to do defensively. You know, and then you have younger players around. The, you know, the infield, you have Rizzo coming back from his concussion. You know, Boone said that during the winter meetings that, that he's fine now and it's just a matter of him doing it and getting accustomed to coming back. So you've got a lineup that was right-handed dominant. Now suddenly you've got, you know, Rizzo back, Soto and Grisham, and they're all left-handed at Yankee Stadium. This is going to be a big thing for them. Now you get into, do they get enough pitching? If I were them, I'd sign Josh Hader in a heartbeat because they need a closer. You know, Clay Holmes was was a ragtag from Pittsburgh, journeyman player with arm injuries when they picked him up. He had a good half season, made the all-star team last year. It's not going to happen again. You need a closer. So if I were them, Hater's the next guy I spend spend money on. And then, you know, see what else is out there pitching-wise that, uh, you know, they can sign as you get deeper towards spring training. But I think they're going to be a very interesting team. (laughs) And I really think they have a good chance to win 90 games to 100 again.
0: Yeah. I think that they're all going to be a lot better. And I think Verdugo, it'll be interesting to see how they use him. You <clears> mentioned <throat> that you think their best lineup is with Grisham in center field. And maybe that's the direction they go in. How, if that's, if that is what they roll out most of the time, how is Verdugo being used?
1: You know, then he's used off the bench and he's used, you know, when they cycle people and want to rest people, you know, uh, you know, Soto is going to play every day, you know, judge is going to play every day. And then you have the question of, you know, how long is Stanton going to stay healthy? And then what's he going to do when he's healthy? Usually when he's healthy, he produces, but he doesn't stay healthy. So there's, there's, there's plenty of room for Verdugo, you know, to have an impact. And, you know, and I, and I think the to me, You know, spot start him, bring him off the bench. You know, he'll have an impact on the team. He's not a great player either, and I just don't think he's the defensive player that, you know, Grisham is. I
0: think he's a nice player, but it'll be interesting to see how he handles that type of role because I know that some – there have been whispers about him maybe not being the greatest culture guy or having the greatest fit in some of the spots he's been – this is an opportunity for him to embrace a new role. We'll see if he's up for it.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, and it also gives him a chance to, you know, to excel. And eventually he'll probably play because, you know, look, nobody expected Judge to to miss 50 games last year, you know, because of that toe injury banging into the wall in, uh, you know, Dodger Stadium. So, I mean, those are the things that you can't predict and, you know, are going to happen. So you're much better off having the depth than not. You don't want to go down to the minor leagues to grab somebody to play because one of your frontline people has been hurt. You know, you've got a guy like Verdugo who's on the roster, you know, with some experience who can help.
0: I see. I have another rumor. It's, there hasn't been I don't think I've seen any reporting on it but it's just the hey I could see this fit and I'm curious to see if you see it or not and it's the Jordan Montgomery returns to the Yankees situation.
1: Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, I think they got rid of Jordan Montgomery for a reason. You know, his last month there was pretty terrible uh before they made the trade with the Cardinals. It it didn't turn out to be a great trade for them because you know Harrison Bader never re- really materialized he played really well for them in the playoffs in 2021 22 and 22 but otherwise he was he he was hurt when he got there he was hurt he was always hurt so i mean it wasn't a great deal and Montgomery's been great for the cardinals great for the rangers but I think there's a perception that he's just one of those guys who's not going to contribute in New York. So I, I may be wrong on this, but I, I just don't see them spending the money, and I don't see Cashman admitting that yeah. You know, we made a mistake with this guy, so we're going to bring him back.
0: Yeah, I've, thought, I've had the same thoughts in terms of it doesn't – I just can't really see them doing that. Do you think they add us another starting pitcher, though?
1: Yeah, I think they're going to add another starting pitcher. They, they they have to have a starting pitcher. You know, which one is out there that they're looking at at this point? Yeah, I don't see them going after Snell. And I don't think Snell wants to play back there. I think, you know, Snell would rather stay on the on the West Coast if he can. You know, Mariners, Angels, I heard Angels in the mix. You know, we'll see. But... Yeah, I think they'll pick up another... St- I think starting pitcher and a reliever, and like I said, I'm very bullish on Hayter.
0: Do you think they would trade for a starting pitcher? Would they give up more prospects for a Bieber or a Dylan Cease?
1: I don't I don't think so, and I don't think they've got that many po- prospects anymore. I mean, I think they unloaded most of what they were willing to get rid of to the Padres and the Soto trade.
0: So... um one more team I want to talk about, and I think we should talk some Hall of Fame stuff, is the Kansas City Royals have been one of the most active teams this offseason. They've gone out and they've made some sort of mid-level moves. They get Seth Lugo, they get Michael Walker, both of whom are coming off very nice years in San Diego. They picked up Hunter Renfro. They traded for Kyle Wright. Like they've entirely recrafted their pitching rotation, which has been among the league worst over the past several years. Do you like what they're doing?
1: Yeah, and I think there's a perception there. Look, the two weakest divisions in baseball are the central divisions in both leagues, and the American League Central is certainly weak. You know, basically, you know, you have the Twins. The the Indians are middle of the road. The White Sox are awful. You know, so I think there's a perception there that with a few moves that Kansas City could – you know, make some move to the, they could even win the win the win the league or win the division or compete for a wild card. So yeah, I don't blame them. Plus, you know, the, you're also looking at they're talking about a new ballpark sometime in the next five, six years. You know, there's some plans it downtown. Uh there's some plans in Missouri, right across, uh, I mean, right across the border, right near the border, There you know, it's they're going to build a new ballpark, and you know they're going to need to generate some interest there from people who are going to want to buy the club seats and the and the and and the executive the club seats and the executive suites that they're needed to sell to pay for that ballpark. So I think a lot of this is coming together, and that's why you're seeing the Royals doing what they're doing.
0: I think that rotation could be sneaky good next year. I like Cole Reagans a lot, Brady Singer, pitching the WBC, uh, Kyle Wright, maybe he's due for a bounce back. And then, you know, Waka, Lugo, I think that's a pretty good rotation.
1: That's a pretty mediocre rotation. But again, you know, you're, you're playing in, you know, a division where you could do some damage.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's not it's not up with the league best. Uh, so I guess, I guess that's a good place to put them. But I do think it's significantly improved from what they've been rolling out the last few years.
1: Yeah, that's true. It, it's interesting that they've decided to spend some money, which again is you know, the part and parcel product of you know, where they want to go uh, with their ballpark situation.
0: Cole Reagans comes over from Texas in that Aroldis Chapman trade, and he had a very good couple months or so with Kansas City. It'll be interesting to see what he does uh, next season, but I know uh, Pitching Ninja had a really good video comparing his um, his windup to or his mechanics I should say to Cole Hamels. There's a lot of Cole Hamels there.
1: Let me put it this way, Jack, do you have a lot more interested interest in what Kansas City's going to do than I do?
0: <laughs> I live in the Midwest.
1: <laughs> That's no excuse.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to see what's gonna happen here with AL Central. Not not a lot of people outside of the Midwest care a whole lot. <laughs> right. Well worry <laughs> okay, about Barry, the White Sox. So, yeah, White Sox, and then we got the Cubs also. So both central divisions, both lame central divisions that I've been closely following and covering as well. So all right, Barry, you've been a Hall of Fame voter for over 30 years now. First of all, before Hall, Hall of Fame, how many years have you been working in this industry?
1: Uh, this will be my 49th baseball season coming up.
0: 49 years. So my question to you is what keeps you going? What makes you love it so much?
1: Uh, a part of it is, you know, certainly the ca- camaraderie. It's a, uh, a social event for me at this point. You know, I get to come oh, see, you know, you guys in the press box, whether it's, you know, you guys like you or young guys coming into the business who are, you know, you get I get to know and you're invigorating. You know, uh, it's great to see that there are people interested in the game and interested in the business, you know, that want to make a dent in it the same way I did when I was your age. Uh, you know, I, I love seeing what's left of the old scouts are still around general managers, managers who I've known for years. You know, the players are getting fewer and far between at this point, but yeah, it is a, uh, a, a huge, uh, you know, social event for me. And then I still like the process. I like the process of, you know, going to the ballpark, getting an idea, going into the clubhouses talking to the people to write the story that I want to write, then sitting down and writing the story and going through the editing process and then seeing it in print, it never gets old. I guess when that gets old, I'm not going to want to do it anymore. The, uh, I, I tell people this story when people ask me, well, how long do you want to keep doing this? And I just turned 72 And I used to ask that question to my buddy, Trevor Hoffman, all the time. I go, well, how long do you want to keep pitching? And he said, the hitters will tell me. And they did. You know, in my case, when I look at my computer screen and I can't make heads or tails of it anymore, my computer is going to tell me. And until then, I'm going to keep doing it because it keeps me interested. It keeps my mind sharp. You know, I love the games, too. I love watching the games. Even if I'm not writing about a particular game, I'm always gleaning some information that I'm going to be able to use somewhere else down the road. You know, it's a great process, and I'm blessed that, you know, I've had a long career doing it. I mean, really, uh, I've been laid off once, given my unconditional release by MLB in early 2019, But, you know, I went right from there to Forbes and then to Sportico. So I really have never had a day without without work in my entire life, either as a freelancer or a staff writer. And I feel that I'm really blessed by it because not a lot of people can say that. So that's what keeps me going.
0: Yeah, I've only gotten just a little bit of a taste of it, and it's so fun to me. Like, I just can't ever imagine it really getting old, and that's one of the things where I think about, hey, you know what, if I, I've covered maybe 25 or so MLB events, so maybe 25 to 30, it's like, if that if that's all I ever get, that's 25 or 30 more than the average sports fan ever gets. Like, I am so blessed and, and, and lucky and just incredibly blessed to get to, to get to do some of this stuff, to get to go in the clubhouse, to get to talk to players, get to, you know, interview and then, and then talk to people like you, Barry. I mean, it is, it's so fun to me too. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that it hasn't, the shine has never worn off for you. I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you get to the hall of fame, you know, think about, you know, they're like 50 or 60, maybe a little more living hall of famers, you know, and, uh, you know i i i see them in cooperstown every year i go uh the we, we a lot of us spend time in in the bar at the otisaga hotel on friday nights and saturday nights you know talking and it boggles my mind that every person that i voted for to get into the hall of fame since 1992 I either saw pitch as a kid or covered or both. I mean, I just know all these people. They're all people who I I know on a first name basis. And you know, that 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 you know that that's really something. It's a very small, rarefied, you know, crowd. And I can remember, you know, when I started in this business like you, I was freelancing in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I started my own, you know, wire service, and wrote letters to newspapers all over the country, saying that I'm available to cover games for you on the West Coast. And through that business, you know, I I, I uh, hooked up with the Philadelphia Bulletin, New York Times, Newsday, Atlanta Constitution, uh, you know, the Montreal Gazette, a lot, of San Francisco Examiner, Sacramento Union, and B. I mean it. A lot of papers that are defunct. I mean, my own paper in San Diego that I went to work for, the San Diego Tribune, is defunct. But I, I, the Montreal Gazette contacted me and said they'd like me to cover a, an expo road trip in 1976 from in San Francisco, Dodger Stadium, and the old Jack Murphy Stadium. And I go, great, this is my first road trip. By the end of that road trip, I, I had such a good time. It was like, yeah, I could do this. I really do want to do this, and I never looked back.
0: Yeah, it's like to me, it feels like I could get less sleep, and yet I still feel like I have more energy doing that because I'm con- I'm doing stuff. I'm I'm getting a social release. I'm seeing people. It it energizes me. Whereas versus just if I'm sitting around here in the Midwest on like a gray day like today where it's, you know, 35 degrees, there's no sunlight and I could sleep 10 hours and I feel like I have less energy in this situation than I would if I got five hours of sleep and I'm just, you know, making the rounds, doing all the baseball travel stuff.
1: Yeah. It's uh, I wish I could say though that well, I'm not tired all the time, but I am. <laughs> it doesn't energize me as much as it might you at your age.
0: <laughs> so you wrote a very compelling story this past week uh, for Sportico, of course, uh, on your Hall of Fame ballot. You're voting for Billy Wagner. Is this the first time that you're voting for Billy Wagner?
1: Yes, it was the first time that I voted for Billy Wagner. He had always been on the bubble for me.
0: So, so obviously a lot of people are listening to this. They have not read your piece. Can you give a little bit of an explanation as to what sold you on Billy Wagner this time around?
1: Well, you know, a lot of times, you know, I, I like to interact with the fans before I do my ballot and got people have made good arguments and they've changed my mind. I mean, I'm not a locked in. I am about certain people like I am about Andrew Jones. I'm not voting for Andrew Jones. I mean, there are reasons, you know, you can tell me all you want to know about his 10 gold gloves. But, I mean, the guy batted 254, 210 his last four seasons when he ate his way out of the league and he was arrested for for domestic violence. This guy's not getting my vote. Nobody's going to change my mind. And people have tried. But on Wagner, I just said, I'm on the fence about Wagner. I've got three spots left in my ballot. I'm thinking about Utley and Rollins because of their impact on the 2008, 2009 Phillies. And maybe Wagner, but I'm on the fence about it, convinced me that I'm wrong. You know, I started getting a lot of feedback. Yeah, And um, one of the guys who saw that and asked me what what I was doing with my ballot was uh, Jesus Ortiz. Who used to cover the the Astros, you know, for the local paper down there, and and knew Billy pretty intimately, and now you know I would say you know unlike Mariano and Trevor, you know they had long careers. I spent a lot of time around those people. I had you know probably, you know, well beyond a player writer relationship with Trevor and and Mariano was was a great guy to get to know, but Wagner, I never covered his team uh the you know he when he played for the Astros, the Mets, the Phillies, the Braves, you know at the end, I was always around him, and I was always in the scrum with him, but I never sat down and really had a good conversation with him so you know Jose. I mean, Jesus grabbed me at the winter meetings, asked me how I was going to vote and said, well, can I persuade you to vote for Billy Wagner? And we sat down and talked and I said, yeah, well, I'll do that if I can persuade you to vote for Andy Pennant. So we had, you know, a long talk about both, you know, and, 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 he- and I said to Jesus, you know what, if you have, if you can give me Billy's telephone number, and have him, and I'll, and I'll call him, I'd like to have a discussion with him before I make this decision. So he did, and he did get in touch with Billy. And when I got back from the winter meetings and that kind of stuff, he, uh, you know, we, we got in touch with each other and talked for like a half an hour. You know, one of the things that always baffled me with him was that His uh, last season with the Braves, you know, he went into it pretty much saying it doesn't matter what I do this season. I'm 37 years old. I'm done and I'm going home to spend the rest of my life with my kids. I'm not coming back. And Bobby Cox tried to talk him out of it. Players on the team tried to talk about it, but he was pretty steadfast. You know, he could have stayed around, played another year or two and beefed up his stats, but he thought it was more important to go home and be a father. When I was talking to him on the phone, he explained his whole background as a kid: that his mother and father had divorced when he was five; that he had uh, bounced from like relative to relative, grandfather and grandmother, and went to eleven schools. And he was still over to, able to overcome all this, you know, pitch in high school. And become a very good major leaguer, if not a major leaguer with great Hall of Fame numbers, still enough where, you know, his batting average, you know, against his was lower than Trevor. He had more strikeouts per inning than Trevor. You know, uh, there, there were just areas which said, if you voted for this guy, then why aren't you voting for that guy? And you can't base it all on saves, which he had 424. John Franco had four, uh, you know, I think he had a couple more. It was, uh, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. So I just felt like once I was done talking with him and at the end of the conversation, I just said I had no idea what kind of adversity you went through as a kid. And he said, everything I went through as a kid is the reason why I am where I am right now, and that sold me on voting for him for the Hall of Fame. I'm a big guy. I've been through my own adversity. I got hit in the golf in the eye with left eye with a golf club when I was a kid. Lost my sight in left eye. I had two bouts of colon cancer in <clears throat> at the end of my 50s. Survived that. I know what it's like to go through adversity. It either makes you or breaks you. And it, it, it and and it it made Wagner. And so that's why I voted for him for the hall of fame.
0: It was a great story. I encourage everyone to check it out. uh, If you have not done so yet, it's on Sportico Uh, quickly before we get going for today. uh, You used all 10 votes on your ballot. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, Was there anyone, you you voted for Beltray, Todd Helton, Joe Maurer, Andy Pettit, Manny Ramirez, Arod, J-Roll, Gary Sheffield, Chase Utley, and Billy Wagner. Was there anyone that you would have liked to vote if you had an 11th vote?
1: Uh, no. No, in fact, I had seven solid votes. Like I told you, Yeah, uh, you know, usually I look at my ballot. I know what I'm going to vote for last year. I thought the ballot was so piss poor that I voted for only four people on the ballot that may be the lowest amount of people that I've ever voted for. I mean, year in and year out, especially when the ballot backlog, because of steroids was going on, you know, I had 10 guys every year. <coughs> and, uh, you know, there was always an 11th or 12th if I had the room on the ballot. This year, you know, I checked off seven. As I said, you know, I was leaning towards Eileen Rollins. And then Wagner was a big question mark. And I resolved that. I left it sitting on my desk when I went to the winter meetings. I resolved it at the winter meetings and talking me to Wagner. As soon as I was done on the phone with Wagner, I, 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 I colored in the boxes for Rollins, Utley, and Wagner and put it in the mail and then wrote the column and posted it. So, you know, usually my Hall of Fame column gets more response than almost anything I ever write. You know, uh, people always chime in on it. You know, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? There's always some guy on the ballot every year that people are, why isn't he on your ballot this year? This year it was Jones. And I explained to people exactly what I just explained to you, yeah. why I'm never voting for Jones. And so, you know, it, it, it it's an interesting, you know, interesting process. But to answer your question, no, there was nobody else on that ballot. If I had eleven spot, I would have voted for. You know, I thought I was pretty giving, using all ten.
0: Can you make the case for Andy Pettit?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really simple. He had two hundred and fifty-six wins. He had nineteen more in the postseason. Every time the Yankees needed him in in a big series, postseason series, he was there. I mean, he. You know, you could argue that he maybe was never the best pitcher on any of their staves. You know, they had Clemens, they had Jimmy Key, they had David Wells, you know, but Pettit was always a great, he was a number one, number two. That's what he was. And when they needed, when Joe Torrey needed him those years, you know, he was there and the guy won five World Series, appeared in six and won something like seven or eight pennants. I mean, he was as money a pitcher as Whitey Ford, and Whitey Ford he has better numbers mostly than Whitey Ford. Obviously, Whitey Ford, he had 10 wins and that shutout streak in the World Series. I mean, like Yogi Berra used to laugh with Jared Jeter all the time. It's like when Jeter used to say, well, all you have to do is go to the world, win the pennant and go to the World Series and win. You know, we have three rounds of playoffs we have to get through. And then Yogi used to like, you know, lift his hands and go, I've got 10 of these. You can come over to the house and see him anytime you want. <laughs> you know, it, Whitey Ford can say the same thing. But I, I, and the fact that, you know, that Derek, I mean, uh, that Pettit might have used, you know, HGH to recover from an injury or what whatever he did is really immaterial to me because I watched this guy pitch. His entire career and what kind of impact he made. I mean, if he's not a Hall of Famer, a Hall of Fame pitcher, you know, I don't know who is.
0: Yeah, and I he owned up to it. And at the time, I don't think it was a banned substance. Uh,
1: I think HGH was a banned substance. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. He I wasn't. Mean, he, was he got caught
1: about, up, he, yeah. he got caught up in the Clemens thing. Uh, he you know, he was named in the Mitchell report. So, you know, and once he was, you know, yeah, he apologized for it, but, you know, look, I don't hold the, uh, I, you know, I have five guys on the ballot yeah, I think you got each year it. that uh, all all are under the cloud of steroids, including, you know, A-Rod and Manny who were suspended. So, you know, guys are what they are. They, they did what they did. The numbers are the numbers And, you know, if if people don't like it, vote him in and put an asterisk on their ballot or on their plaque or explain something on their plaque that they played during that era or that A-Rod was suspended for a year for doing what he did. And it just goes on the plaque. That's all.
0: So Barry Bloom over at Sportico. Barry, is there anything you'd like to uh, plug or promote or you want to point people towards your work or your social media, anything like that?
1: Well, you know, I'm at Boomsky and at Gramsky on X, the former Twitter, the site formerly known as Twitter. (laughs) And, you know, you can get me on Facebook. You can get me on LinkedIn. Uh, My columns are are available. Uh, You can go to Google, the Google machine and, Put Barry and Bloom in Sportico, and you get my entire col- column page of everything I've ever written for, for, for Sportico. Uh, you know, I'm not sure the one—I don't think the one exists at MLB anymore. But there's plenty of ways of tracking me down.
0: <laughs> Good stuff. Well, thank you so much, Barry. I'm sure we'll uh, have you back on sometime, maybe early in the season.
1: Great, Jack. Thanks for uh, having me, and have a great holiday.
0: You too. All right, y'all, that concludes our episode today with Barry Legend, Barry Bloom. Awesome guy. met him out at spring training last year. Uh, really good dude. Has taught me a lot about this industry. Just been, you know, like I mentioned, a mentor of mine and uh, and a great guy and uh, a great writer, too. So it was great having him on here. I'm sure we'll do that again sometime next season. Uh, I know he wanted to come on here, so it was great to have Barry here It was fun talking all things hot stove so far. I'm sure there'll be more moves coming. It might slow down over the next several days now with uh, Christmas. I think it generally, I know Dan O'Dowd was saying this the other day on MLB Network, that generally there isn't a whole lot that happens between Christmas and New Year's. People kind of take a little bit of a vacation and a break with their families. Doesn't mean that things can't happen, but we will be back sometime soon And I'm sure we'll be bringing you more offseason analysis. And, you know, as we get closer to the college football playoff and the NFL playoffs, perhaps we'll have something football related soon. If that's what you guys, if you guys want some football content, we can make that happen. Uh, And then, of course, we'll have some interviews sometime in the early new year with some athletes, potentially some reality TV contestants, other amazing interesting guests please subscribe to the jack vita show if you are doing so already we've got at jack vita show on facebook twitter and instagram you can also like i said subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify youtube if you're watching this on youtube hit the notifications button uh, don't miss out on episodes and help us share the show with a friend if you guys like it. I mean, we're trying to keep growing this thing. I'd love to do a little more monetization on this in 2024, potentially with some advertising. Um, so greatly, greatly appreciate the support. Um, I haven't created a Patreon or anything like that. Maybe I'll do that at some point down the road. We'll see. I'm not ruling it out, but I'd rather have money coming in from advertisers than from the listeners themselves so anyway if you want to help out post this on social media share it with a friend subscribe and uh, tune in to our next episode until then I'm Jack Vita bring in the dates and lobsters